Today, I want to talk with us about the secrets to thankfulness. And it's actually not really a secret, but it is surprising. You know, most things in life are like that. Most of the the secrets that we look for, the secret to happiness, the secret to a great marriage, the secret to enjoying your job, the secret to doing well at school, most of those secrets, they're not so much secrets as they are just surprising truths. And so what we're going to find today is that the secret to thankfulness is really surprising. You know, a couple years ago, I wanted to improve my running been a runner most of my life, and I just felt like I was kind of in, in a little bit of a rut. And so I, I told Stephanie, I want to get better at running marathons. And so to help me with that, I hired a running coach. His name's Tom. He's fantastic. And he lives in Australia. And so we correspond through this app. And so what he does is he creates workouts for me. He loads them to the app, and then they sync up with my watch. So I run the workout, and then he can see all of the data and then give me some feedback. So after the first week of of having Tom as as my coach, he was reviewing all of my runs and was just giving me some feedback. And he gave to me the the first secret to being a better runner. And uh, this is what Tom told me. Uh, Coach Tom said that in order to run faster, you must run slower. And I'm thinking, I'm paying for this. <laughs> so like, is, is Yoda my running coach? Like, what does this mean, right? In order to run faster, I have to run slower. So I said, Tom, I don't get it. What do you mean by this? And, and he explained to me how running works. So running is really taxing on the human body. And you need to balance the, the proper stress that running puts on the body with the proper rest. And for a runner like me, you, you want to get the balance around 80 to 85% of your runs need to be at an easy kind of recovery type pace. That way, your hard workouts can be really hard, and then your easy workouts, you recover, and then you're able to reap the benefit from all the work that you did when you went hard. My problem was I was doing everything at kind of a middle pace. And so I wasn't getting the benefit of either. I wasn't going hard enough on my hard days, and I wasn't going easy enough on my easy days. And so I was never fully recovered. And so Tom was saying, in order for you to get a, be a better runner, Kyle, you need to slow down and run easier on your easy days. In order to be a faster runner, you need to run slower. It was surprising. Being thankful is similar. The secret to being thankful is actually found in surrender. That the secret to thankfulness is surrender. You may think, okay, what does that mean? Well, the answer to that, we turn to Paul's letter to the Colossians. So if you have a Bible, I want you to open up to Colossians. It's found in the New Testament. And uh, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2 today. If you want to use one of the blue Bibles that we provide for you, you can find it on, uh, find it on page 1791 of those blue Bibles that's in the pew back. And for those of you that are joining us online, welcome. We'd love to have you open your Bibles with us as well to Colossians chapter 2. As you're turning there, we're going to start in verse 6. As you're turning there, uh, let me just set the context for us. This is Paul writing to a church that he did not found, but he had heard about. Some of the leaders from this church had come to Paul, and they were reporting that there was some false teaching that was happening in the church. This false teaching would actually grow uh, around uh, the, the New Testament churches, and by the second century would be known as the heresy. Heresy is just a fancy word for false teaching. The heresy of Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was the idea that there is a secret knowledge that exists in the universe, and if you can discover the secret knowledge, that will be salvation for you. 
And so the Gnostics had come into the church, and what they were teaching was that they were teaching that Jesus was not the way to salvation, that Jesus was not salvation, that he was not the Son of God, but that rather Jesus was just kind of a guru or a really helpful guide along our journey toward salvation. That's what the Gnostics were teaching. And, and so Paul, writing to them, just say, saying, no, not at all. Like, Jesus is ultimate. Jesus is supreme. He is the Son of God. He's actually in all things, through all things. He's above all things. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and, and that's what Paul is writing to the Colossians about. And, and his words are so helpful uh, for us today, just as they were for them. Because Gnosticism is something that we still deal with in our culture. It's kind of this idea that that everybody needs to find their own truth or find the secret for themselves, and that's where salvation is. And Paul emphatically says, no, it's all about Jesus. So he says this in the context then of helping us understand how thankfulness becomes part of people who have found and who are following Jesus. Here's what he writes. Colossians chapter two, verses six and seven. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So what Paul's arguing is that in order for us to overflow with thankfulness, we need to do the first things that Paul indicates in this passage of Scripture. And the first things is then, so just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. And that word Lord is one that we do not use often in our vocabulary today. So if you're a note taker in your Bible, I want to encourage you to circle that word Lord or underline it uh, because that, that word is the key to understanding this passage. The word Lord in, in the original Greek when this was written and Paul wrote it, what that word means is it means master or it means owner. L literally, it's the one to whom we belong. And belonging there is not like, oh, you, you belong to a club or you belong to an organization and you belong to this organization, but you choose whether or not you're part of it or not. That's, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about Lord meaning master, Lord meaning the one who has complete authority over your life, the one who's in control, the one who's in charge, the one who whatever they say, we do and we obey because they own us. That's what he means by Lord. So if you're gonna summarize Paul's big idea and how this relates to thankfulness, you could say it this way, overflowing thankfulness comes from receiving Jesus as master, capital M. That overflowing thankfulness comes into our life when we surrender to Jesus as the master over our lives. And the reason that many of us struggle to be people who are thankful is we don't believe this to be true. Or if we believe it to be true, we believe it intellectually to be true, maybe we believe it theologically to be true, but we don't live our lives as if this is true. And the reason we don't is because we have become convinced that thankfulness comes when we don't have anyone over authority over us. We've become convinced that, that we're most thankful and we're most grateful for situations when we're in control, not someone else, when we get to be the boss. It's just part of the stories that we tell ourselves. It's actually part of the American narrative that we talk about. 
You know, we, we tell the story about how several hundred years ago, we, we got rid of the king of England. We're, we're out from under his authority. And when that happened, everything got better for us. That's, that's the part of the story that we tell. Or, or, or part of the American dream is that maybe one day you get to be your own boss and you get to be the one who decides and you get to be in control and you decide what's gonna happen and you don't have to report into anybody, you don't have to answer to anybody, you get to be in charge. Or for some of you students, you, you, you are like counting down the days until you get to move out of mom and dad's home and you get to be out on your own and so then you're in charge and you decide when you go to bed and what you eat and where you go and you don't have to answer to anybody. In fact, some of you are home for the holidays and you're back with mom and dad right now and it's like, okay, I'm thankful they did my laundry, I'm ready to leave, right? Because <laughs> we don't like to be under someone else's authority. We wanna be independent, we wanna be autonomous and we believe that in those moments, that should be what we're most thankful in those moments for that independence. And we're not the only people that have thought this. Actually, the, the people of God struggle with the same thing. They think the th same things that we, 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 we process with, with. In fact, there was a time in, in the people of, of God's history, long before Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians, and long before Jesus came, it was a time in the Old Testament when Israel had just moved into the Promised Land that was known as the time of the Judges. It's actually recorded for us in the Old Testament by a book by that name, it's, it's called Judges. And it documents the, the, the history of, of that time. And Judges in chapter 17, verse six, kind of gives us a summary of what that season was like in uh, the life of Israel. And it says this, it says that uh, in those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. This is a day where they had no master. Nobody was in charge of them. They all got to do whatever they wanted to do and everyone chose to do what was right in their own eyes. And so we would assume then in such an environment, you would just imagine that, that they would just overflow with thankfulness in that season. But they didn't. Because it wasn't really a good time for the nation of Israel. Because the whole book of Judges reminds us now, when everyone just does whatever's right in their own eyes, it doesn't go well for a nation. That was true then, and I will argue with you, that is still true today. When we reject God's authority, things do not go well for people. And it wasn't going well for them. In fact, one of the, the gentlemen who was known as, as a judge, that also just means the word deliverer, is somebody who, who God raised up in, in in that time to, to help Israel out some of the misery that they were in. It, it was one of the judges named Gideon. And Gideon's story is all about him not being thankful for what God had provided for him because Gideon wasn't surrendered to God as the master. Gideon was trying to be in control. We actually first meet Gideon. God had been trying to get Gideon's attention, kind of like God tries to get our attention at times. God will call us, and Gideon's response was pretty lackluster. It just was very lukewarm, like sometimes our response to God's call on our life is, is somewhat lukewarm. But things in, in Israel went from pretty bad to really worse. It was a time when uh, the Midianites, they were a neighboring nation, they were watching Israel, and as soon as it was harvest time, the Midianites would send raiding parties throughout Israel, and they would just steal all of the resources. And so Israel was just absolutely devastated by this. They could just never recover economically, and so they were never able to muster enough strength to stand up against the, the, the Midianite forces that came in, and so just the situation just got worse and worse. 
And the Midianites then teamed up with some other nations, and so they formed this super army, and they came in and crossed over into Israel's land, and they were going to invade. It was a hopeless situation for the Israelites. And it was in that moment that the Spirit of God stirred in Gideon that now is the time to respond. And so Gideon, led by the Spirit of God, calls out to his fellow countrymen and says, we need to raise up an army, and 32,000 men come to his aid. Now you would imagine that if you call out for help to defeat or or fight back against an invading army, and 32,000 people show up at your call, you would think you would have something to be thankful for. But not Gideon. He's not thankful to God in this moment. In fact, Gideon is looking at these 32,000 men and he's looking at the the huge, vast army of the Midianites. Scripture said it was too numerous. They were too numerous to count. And and Gideon's doing the math and he's going, we have no chance, God. And so he's kind of grumpy about this and and so he goes to God and he says, God, here's the thing, like I know you've told me that you will deliver the Midianites into our hands, but I need you to give me a sign. You need to confirm it. And, and God, here's how we're gonna do this. I'm gonna take a wolf fleece, I'm gonna lay it out on the ground, and I'm gonna go to bed. And in the morning when I wake up, God, the wolf fleece needs to be wet with dew, but the ground around it needs to be dry. So, so Gideon goes to bed, he wakes up, sure enough in the morning, that, that fleece is soaking wet with dew, so much that he can wring it out into a bowl. I mean, God's, God's answered his sign. God, God, he specifically said, God, this is what needs to happen, and God graciously gives it to him. You would think he'd be thankful, but he's not. And instead he says to God, okay, now we're gonna do it again, but this time in reverse. So I'm gonna lay the wolf fleece back out, God, and then in the morning when I wake up, the wolf fleece needs to be dry, but the ground all around it needs to be wet with dew. He goes to bed, he wakes up, sure enough, that's what happens. The wool is dry, the ground is wet. And again, you would assume that in this moment, Gideon would just be overflowing with thankfulness because now God has confirmed the sign twice for him, but Gideon is not thankful in this moment either. And you know why? It's because Gideon isn't surrendered to God as Lord. The Gideon is trying to be in control. See, whenever we ask God for a sign, that's an indicator that we're not trusting God. It's actually an indicator that we're trying to be in authority over God because we're trying to tell God what to do. I mean, Gideon even specified what the sign was gonna be. And it's amazing to me that God gives him those signs because he's demanding it. And you know the reason that God chose to give Gideon those signs and confirm it? It's because God loves us. And God knows at times that we are afraid. Just like Gideon was afraid. And the nature and the character of our God is that he is compassionate toward us. He had called Gideon for his purpose, not because God needed Gideon, God doesn't need us but he wanted Gideon to experience his power and his grace. And he wanted to use Gideon just like God wants to use you and me. And so he's kind and compassionate and gracious to us even when we don't deserve it. And so God graciously gives Gideon these signs, but he knows that Gideon still is not trusting him. And God knows that what is best is for us to surrender to God as our master and to fully trust him. And so God says, 
to Gideon, we're, we're going to do something. And what God does to Gideon is what God often will do to us when we're not fully trusting him. God makes us uncomfortable. I said, Gideon, here's what we're going to do. You have too many men. 32,000, it's just too many, because if I allow you to have victory over the Midianites, you're gonna claim that it was because of your own strength and the size of your army that allowed you to have this victory. So we need to thin it out a little bit. So uh, he says, tell all the men that if any of them are scared, they can go home. Well, there's 32,000 of them, and there's an army that's too numerous to count. You think any of these guys are scared? They're terrified. And 22,000 of these men leave. You can, just, you can just picture Gideon standing there and watching of his 32,000, 22,000 of them just walking away. 22,000 of these guys saying, Gideon, we don't trust your leadership. Gideon, we don't trust that God's with you. Gideon, we don't trust this plan. We're out of here. And some of us know what that feels like. Because for some of us, we're in a season right now where God's allowing those things to be removed from our lives. That we have watched resource after resource walk away from us. That we've seen relationship after relationship leave our lives. That we have seen dream after dream become unmanageable for us, unreachable for us. That we've seen all of these things that we put our hope, we put our expectation into, we, put, we had our confidence in, and, and, and we have just, we're watching them walk out of our lives. And like Gideon, we're standing here with the 10,000 that are left, and we're not thankful at all for them because we're really upset and confused about, God, what is going on around here? What are you doing? Do you, are you even paying attention? And God's watching all this, and, and, and God knows what's going on with Gideon but he's not done with them yet. So God says to Gideon, hey, we're, we're not done. You still have too many. 10,000 is just way too many men. So we're gonna thin them out some more. So here's what I'm gonna have you do, Gideon. Take them down to the spring and, and watch them drink water, and then I will tell you which ones you were to have for your army and which ones you can send home. So they go down to the spring, and of the 10,000 men, 9,700 of them drink water normal. 300 of them drink water weird. That's what scripture says. It, it talks about these 300 men that, that they cupped their hands and they lapped the water up like a dog. That's weird. And, and I have read all sorts of commentaries in the book of Judges about what this event is and what does that symbolize. And some will tell you, well, this was the, the, the sign of a great warrior because they were always in the ready position and these were the super soldiers that were prepared. But contextually, God doesn't need super soldiers in order to have a victory over the Midianites. What God is trying to get Gideon to do is to trust him, not in the army. So some other commentators have said, oh no, that's a sign of weakness. These were the most anxious and nervous. They were the worst soldiers. And so God's trying to weed out all the good ones and just you have the bad ones that are left. The reality is we have no idea what it means. I'm just telling you, if you cup water and you drink it like a dog lapping it up, that's weird. (laughs) And God said, keep the weird ones. That's your army. So there's Gideon, right? 32,000, now we're down to 300 guys that drink water weird. This is his army. And God goes, now you're ready, let's go attack the Midianites. But because God knows us, and he's kind to us, God says to Gideon, hey, listen, if you're afraid, which of course Gideon was afraid. He said, if you're afraid, right before you attack, sneak down into the enemy camp and just listen. Just listen, Gideon. 
That's what Gideon does. He takes one of his servants, and they go down to, to the camp. It's in the middle of the night. And they come up to the camp just as two of the Midianite soldiers are, are, are talking. One of them had a dream, and he's sharing it with the other. I, I want to pick up for you in, in Judges chapter 7. I just want to read a couple of verses to you so you hear directly from God's word about what happened next because it's so key to us understanding how to become somebody who's thankful. Here's what happens. I'm going to pick it up in verse 13. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. Now let me ask you a question. If you have a friend who has that dream about a piece of bread that comes rolling into a camp and knocks over a tent, and they turn to you and they say, what does that mean? What do you say to them? I think there's one way to interpret that dream. You should go gluten-free. I think that's what it's saying. But see, God was already working. God had caused a spirit of terror to strike the Midianites because he was way ahead of Gideon. And here's what the interpretation of the dream was. Verse 14, his friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. And Gideon hears this. And in that moment, Gideon gets it. And for the first time, we see Gideon do something that we have not seen in his whole story up to this point. Gideon does this in verse 15. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. And in the original Hebrew, which this was written in, that word worshiped is to literally mean to bow at the waist in thankfulness toward your master, toward your king. It's in that moment that Gideon gets it. This is his moment of surrender, right there. Now, the battle hasn't been fought yet. He's still hiding outside the camp, but he realizes God has already declared victory over the enemy. It's already done. We haven't experienced it yet, but it is a sure deal. And in that moment, Gideon stops and he bows before the Lord. In other words, in the words of the Apostle Paul, Gideon received God as master as Lord, because he's thankful for what God will be doing. And sure enough, God was true to his word. Gideon has just a phenomenal victory over the Midianites, so much so that the people of Israel get together and they go, hey, this went really well. Uh, Gideon, how about you become our master? How about you become our king? You and your sons, you can rule over us because uh, this went so well. And Gideon, because he's now got it, because he understands God's in control, not me, he says this to them in Judges chapter eight, verse 23. Gideon says to them, I will not be your king. I will not rule over you. My son will not rule over you the Lord will rule over you. Now, there are some other things in Gideon's life. He didn't always get it right, but that's another story for another day. In this moment, Gideon got it, surrendered to God as master. And when we have that moment in our lives, that moment where we come to God and we bow before him, we recognize, God, you're in charge, not me. That's when we understand all that God has done for us. And what Paul says is that we, just, we can't help but overflow with thankfulness. 
So, so what do we do with, with, with this message? Well, the, the words that, that Paul is giving to us here in Colossians are, are really instructive. And the first thing that we need to do with this is that we need to develop a habit of reflection. That on a daily basis, we need to take time to reflect on what God has done for us. Literally, every, every day, we need to come before the Lord and we need to, as Gideon did, we need to bow before him. We need to receive Christ as Lord. We, we, we do that when we accept Jesus and daily we need to continue to do that to remind ourselves, God, you're in charge, not me. We're gonna do it your way, we're not gonna do it my way. I'm trusting you, I'm not trusting me. And, and that's what Paul is saying here in, in, in verse six. He's saying just as you've received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Continue that habit of bowing before the Lord and receiving Christ Jesus as your Lord. How do we do that, verse seven, rooted and built up in him? And then Paul writes, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And, and literally in the Greek, that, that idea of strengthened in the faith as you were taught, it means to walk where it is firm. And so what Paul's getting at here is that when we come before the Lord on a daily basis, on a regular basis, and we humble ourselves, we bow before the Lord, we acknowledge that it's his way, not our way. What, what we do then is we place ourselves under the authority of God's word. Because it's God's word that shows us where we should walk. Most years growing up, in our home, uh, the weekend after Thanksgiving, we'd put Christmas lights out on the outside of our house. And so we stored those Christmas lights up in the attic, and my dad was the only one in our home that could go up to the attic to get them. And the reason is because we didn't have any, any floors up in the attic. And so if you've ever walked in an attic, or if you ever watched Christmas Vacation, you, you know that you have to step just on, on, on the rafters. If, if you make the wrong step, you just go right through the ceiling. And so my dad knew where to walk, so he was the only one because he knew where it was firm to walk. When we come before the Lord on a daily basis and in reflection of him being our king, we bow before him, we take him at his word, his word shows us where to walk. And do you know why? It's because God wants what is best for us. See, the, the reason that you and I struggle with control, the reason Gideon struggled to surrender to God is because we don't really trust God. We're kind of nervous that if we give him control, he's going to do something with our life that we don't want. And God, in his patience and his kindness, is saying to us, listen, I know you. I made you. I know where to walk. I know where it is firm. Let me help you. Let me show you the way so that you can live a life that is thriving. I don't want you to be in bondage. I don't want you to have the enemy have victory over your life. I want you to experience the freedom and the thankfulness that comes from being under my authority because I'm good and I know what is best for you. And when we daily come before the Lord and bow before him, we're reminded of that truth. And when we live in that posture, folks, what happens is we just can't help it, but we become people who overflow with thankfulness. Because God has gone before us. And because we trust in his word, not demanding a sign, but we have confidence in his word, we know that even if we can't see a victory, we know by faith that it's going to come because God said so. And it causes us to be people who overflow with thankfulness. So the reason some of us don't overflow with thankfulness is because we're not taking that time to on a daily basis reflect on what God has done for us. And so if that's true for you, I just, 
starting tomorrow, tonight, before you go to bed, have time every single day where you have that time to reflect that you're bowing before the Lord and you're looking to his word to show you how to live your life. But there are some of us who struggle with overflowing with thankfulness because we haven't done the first thing that Paul tells us we need to do. We've never received Jesus as Lord. For some of you, you may be like Gideon. God may have called you or has been trying to call you or has been pursuing you for many years. And your response to God, like Gideon's, has been pretty lukewarm, a little lackluster. Or maybe God has been inviting you to trust him and and, and you've been trying to do it, but you've been kind of holding back because really there's been a wrestle for control here. You have been trying to do it your way and you're trying to tell God how we're gonna do this or not do this. You're trying to dictate the terms and you've never really surrendered to Jesus. And if that's true for you or or you're not sure if you've ever really surrendered to Jesus, I wanna invite you today. Today can be the day where you can surrender and receive Christ Jesus as Lord. And and here at Wooddale, we say that that means saying yes to Jesus. And when you say yes to Jesus, you're saying yes to to two things. The first thing you're saying yes to is you are saying yes to God's grace and his forgiveness. Because the reality is, spiritually speaking, all of us were like Gideon. All of us are facing an army of our enemy that is too numerous for us to count. Every single one of us have done things in our life that we know are wrong. We knew they were wrong when we did them, we did them anyway. You you and I, if we were to identify all of the sinful things that we have ever done, all the sinful things that we have ever said, all the sinful motivations that we've ever had, all the sinful thoughts that we've ever had, all the sins of of not doing the right thing that we knew we should have done. If we were to count all of those up, it would be like the Midianite army, too numerous for us to count. And the enemy of our soul, the the, the enemy of, of of sin and of death, that that had sin and death coming bearing down on us like that Midianite army, it seemed like there was no hope for us because how are we gonna overcome all of our own sin? How can we ever escape death? But just in the right moment and in the right way, God came. And he came in the person of Jesus. The only one who was fully God and fully man. So the only one that could finally bring reconciliation between humanity and God himself. And what Jesus did is Jesus came as the very word of God and showed us what it means to live a life pleasing to God. Literally, Jesus shows us how to live our life. He shows us where it's firm to walk. But then Jesus did something that you and I could never do on our own. He took the punishment for our sins. And he did it when he went to the cross. And he died on that cross the death that you and I deserved to die. But then because he's fully God, the third day, he rose again, claiming that Jesus has victory over sin and over death. And he will give that victory to anyone who is willing to bow before him and receive it. But you have to bow before him and ask for it. We can never earn it, but we receive it 
from Jesus. So when you say yes to Jesus, you are saying yes to that. You're saying yes to the grace and the forgiveness that he freely offers to us because of what Jesus has done for us. But the second thing that we're saying yes to is Jesus being the master of our life. Meaning he's the one who we're gonna follow and he's the one who we're going to obey. Because he knows best how for us to truly thrive. And all of our significance and all of our purpose and all of our meaning in life that we long for can be found in So I want to give us an opportunity here this morning for those of you who maybe are at that spot. You're at that spot where you want to say yes to Jesus. And it's time for you to bow before him and surrender to him as your Lord. So I want to invite you to, to bow your heads with me. And if you're at that spot, if, if you've never been sure or you want to proclaim that you're going to follow Jesus, I want to just invite you in the quietness of of this place to silently pray along with me. The words do not matter. It is your heart that matters. And the good news is God already knows your heart. So just be honest with him. Saying yes to Jesus is is like this. It's it's saying, Father, I, I agree with you that I am sinful. And that sin has separated me from you. And I am sorry for that sin. And God, I believe that Jesus came and and took the punishment for my sin on the cross. And I believe that he rose on the third day. And I believe that he can offer me new life. A new spiritual birth. I receive that free gift today. Thank you for forgiving me for my sins. And thank you for giving me that new life that you offer. I promise to follow Jesus the rest of my life. And if you prayed a prayer of that or like that today, I just want to encourage you that you bowed before the Lord. And you are now a person who the Spirit of God, literally the Spirit of the living God, has now come and is dwelling within you. You are a new creation. That is good news. And as a new creation, and those of us who have, who have already, maybe even years ago, had that moment and, and, and prayed that prayer and received that new spirit, We we need these moments in our life where we declare boldly that we are thankful for the new life that Jesus has given to us. So in just one moment, what we're gonna do is I'm gonna invite us to stand and, and sing a song. And this is a song for us to just pour our hearts out in thanksgiving to our great God as we wrap up this series on thankfulness. And if you are somebody who just said yes to Jesus, I, I just wanna, there, there's a little packet that looks just like, like this that's in the pew back in front of you. This is our gift for you. Uh, please take this. This will help you in your new relationship with Jesus. And, and in just a minute, when we all stand and we're all singing, if, if you said yes to Jesus today, here's what I wanna invite you to do. Whether you said yes or you recommitted, I just while we're singing, you're welcome to just step out into the aisle and walk back out into the common space that's out behind the worship center. And they're, they're, over here in this lobby and over here, there's a big sign that says, I said yes. And there's a team of people that would love to pray with you, love to encourage you, and love to help you in your new relationship with Jesus. And listen, 
Uh, nobody's gonna be looking at you during the song as you slip out because there's a bunch of our volunteers who are gonna be at those stations. They're all moving at the same time, so you're not gonna feel weird. But, but here's the deal. Every single one of us in this room who have, who have accepted Jesus, we all had one of these I said yes moments. And for us, it changed everything. And we celebrate with you. We encourage you because you now get to become a person who hopefully like us can truly practice overflowing thankfulness because of what God gives to those who finally surrender to him. So I invite you to stand and let's give thanks to our great God.